welcome to the all new, all different number one comics podcast episode number 57. I'm Dan. That's Bob. Say hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. We are a weekly comic book podcast where in each and every episode, we take a look at a brand new first issue comic book newly released. We break down the story and art, give it somewhat of a review and let you know if we think that you guys should move on to issue number two or not. We also talk a little bit of comic book and related news, and we talk about new books that are in shops this and next week. And hey, sometimes we get lucky and we have a really cool creator on too, and we post that interview up as well. Uh, and that just so happens to uh, happen this week as well. So uh, this week we will be taking a very deep dive into the all new number one. From Boom Studios, The Displaced by Ed Brisson. That's right. The Displaced. Get ready to be displaced. Hopefully not. Hopefully your town stays intact. But uh, I guess only time will tell. Uh, we're going to take a very short break and we will return in one moment. And we are back with episode number 57 of the All New All Different Number One Comics podcast. Bob, you know, I hate to say uh, that you know, no news is good news or whatever uh, generic news quotes I can come up with, news uh, sayings, I guess. Um, but uh, I don't know. Lots of news is bad news. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure how you, uh, how you, how you put that. Lots of news is the lots of news. <laughs> yeah. Um, in a striking turn of events, there's a whole crap load of news this week. Uh, blame it on the Super Bowl. Blame it on Deadpool. Blame it on whatever you want. Taylor Swift, whatever you feel like blaming it on. But there is a lot of news, which, you know, might be good for you and I because yeah. we can actually discuss some comic book and related news. Uh, so that's what we do on this podcast. <laughs> we try, but, you know, uh, it's been so dry lately. Yeah, um, I, know, I know. Creators don't. <laughs> creators haven't made it easy so far. Yeah, very true. Uh, Bob, let's talk about some of this news some some big news, some little news. There's it's all over the place. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is Bob. The MCU has their fantastic forecast. It's been yes. announced on Wednesday, February fourteenth, Valentine's Day. Marvel uh, announced the uh, casting of Fantastic Four, and it's now bear with me here. We all know I'm terrible at saying things, but uh, Pedro Pascal. As Reed Richards, which I, I think we all knew that was that was happening. Yeah. That was like that, confirmed a while ago, that, right? That, well, I don't think it was confirmed, okay. but it was a soft confirm gotcha. for a few months now. Yeah, it, it, it was out there. Everybody right. knew it was coming. Um, right. uh, we have Vanessa Kirby as Invisible Woman. We've got Eben Moss. <sighs> Bob, this, this last name is going to kill me. Uh, I'm, I'm, it, it looks like it says Bacharach, so I don't know. Uh, Eben Moss is what I'm going to go with. <laughs> EM, EMB for short, uh, as the thing. And then we have Joseph Quinn as the Human Torch. Mm -hmm. And also, Bob, in that picture, Herbie was a part of the crew. The, uh, the, the good old robot Herbie that uh, first appearance was in Fantastic Four 209. Uh, Bob, Fantastic Four is going to debut on... July 25th, 2025. So, holy shit. You know, it's been announced. The casting's been announced. Uh, hopefully, there's already a script written, mm -hmm. a good script. There's a lot of indications that this is going to take place in, like, the 60s. 
I don't know if that's really? been confirmed or not, but yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, lots of talk about that. Which, Are they getting Joe Johnston to direct? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, um, what are your thoughts on this? Now, I don't know much about any of these people. I know who mm-hmm. Pedro Pascal is, of course. Um, and I know one of these people is from Stranger Things. I don't know which one. Uh, Joseph Quinn. Okay, so Human Torch guy yeah, is, is okay. Is gotcha. Stranger Things. He okay. I... <laughs> okay. Uh, I think he's the. I think he's the metal dude, like yeah, the, the guy is. with the long hair. The yeah, that's right. He is. I, I just I, I just wanted to make one hundred percent sure <laughs> yeah, just yeah. before I, you know, said something wrong. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, as, as you can tell, we just kind of ripped the headlines and talked about it, so you know, we didn't put too much research into this, but um. Mm. But yeah, I'm I'm not too sure about Vanessa Kirby and Evan Moss, but uh, yeah, um, what are your thoughts on on at least the people you know, <laughs> and and the Herbie announcement also? Well, I mean, um, you know, Pedro Pascal. I mean, of, of course, you know, he's in this uh, hit Star Wars TV series, Mandalorian. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, granted, he's not. He's not, you don't see his face all the time, so he mostly just lends his voice. I mm-hmm. mean, of course, there's somebody else in the suit in the suit when he has most of his scenes, and I mean, he just does a voiceover. Yep. I mean, I think he'll do. I think he'll do a good job. Just, I don't know for some for some reason, I'm kind of hesitant on Pedro Pascal as uh, Reed Richards. Really, I think that that's like yeah. a. I, I think you know fans are pretty happy about that casting, but yeah. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, it, it's not, you know, again, I think he'll do a good job. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, just something nags in the back of my head about, is he going to make a good Mr. Fantastic? I think that's the problem with anybody, you know? How, yeah, how do you true. nail, how do you nail Reed Richards? Like, it's such a, a weird character that, like, I feel like doesn't exist in real life. I mean, of course, the, you know, super-powered uh, character doesn't exist yeah, in real I life. Mean, but he, but he, the Reed Richards doesn't yeah. exist in real I mean, life. Like, he, who is that? He's basically one of the smartest characters in, C- in the MCU. So he's always going to be the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, exactly. for a handful of people. And, I mean, he all, he's so arrogant at times. Mm-hmm. He always thinks he's right, knows best. I mean... We would, I mean, if it wasn't for Reed Richards, there'd be no maker. So how about this question then? Because, you know, think about Reed Richards for a second. Mm -hmm. And although Reed Richards is like never really seen as, you know, he's not like some like, you know, forgive my language or whatever, but he's not like, he, you know, he's not like some like sexy dude or something. He's like, Mm -hmm. he's kind of like a nerdy guy. You know, he's a scientist, like not to say that, you know, he's by any means, you know, drawn as like, you know, a disgusting looking guy or anything like that. Like he's a good looking guy, but you understand what I mean? Like not like a whole lot of like, you know, charisma that's like attracting like people to want to be his best friend or his girlfriend or or whatever. Like, but he's, he's pretty arrogant. He's pretty smug. Um, Mm. He's like, he's a weird character. And then think about somebody like uh, Tony Stark, which is, they're, they're vastly different. I'm not, I'm not trying to compare the two, but um they, you know, they have so sort of the same personality. They quirks. do, but the only like I guess the biggest difference is that you know uh, Tony Stark has a lot of charisma. You know, everybody wants to be his best friend. Right. Everybody wants to date him. Whatever. Um, so, like, yeah, how do you put somebody in that role? Like, it's so weird. It's so easy to think of, and and of course, in hindsight, it's not like we did the casting, but you know, it's, it's easy to think of 
Robert Downey Jr. is synonymous with Tony Stark and Iron Man and all of that, and like fits the character so well. Uh, shadows kind of what was in the comics and elevates it even to a certain extent. So like, how do you take somebody like Reed Richards, who who yeah, I mean, I I I'd be hard pressed to say like Reed Richards is anybody's favorite character. You know, it's kind of like yeah. it just like the nuance and the things about Reed Richards that exist just kind of it's almost it, it's not that he's a shitty person, but it's almost like you know if. If he was in your friend group, you'd be like, God, man, I'm, I'm not like, you know, I'm, I'm not inviting Reed Richards out to lunch today. Like, that sounds annoying, you know, whatever. Like, you know, maybe in a group of friends or whatever, he's fine. But like, you know, one-on-one -on -one interactions and stuff, like, it just seems weird. Well, it, it you know, it's, it's weird that, um, it, it's kind of ironic that you, you know, um, classify Reed Richards like that, which, I mean, most people are going to know are true. Yeah. But it, it's kind of like. Okay, you got Pedro Pascal uh -huh. to play him, who's probably who's you know good looking. Yeah, uh -huh. probably everybody wants to be his friend. He's he's exactly got a right. A whole lot of charisma. Yeah. So it's kind of like, man, that's <laughs> that you got a you got an actor on the opposite end of the spectrum to portray a character who's not exactly the life of the party. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know, super, super interesting. And of course, you know, take like, I, I guess, I guess I can see it, you know, because Bob, did you ever watch, have you, did you finally sit down and watch that season of The Last of Us? Did you ever see it? No. Okay. I, I think maybe if you sat down and watched it, like maybe it would make a little more sense, but like, I think his character is so nuanced in that. Like there's so much, mm. uh, you know. He, he goes in, he, he's got to get the job done. He's that guy. He's, he's your straight guy who's going to do whatever it takes. But at the same time, he has this weird soft spot, you know, that uh, that makes his character. And and it's very, very interesting. And like I said, very, very nuanced and everything. Um, and, and I think that's what I can see out of him. I, I think that makes that casting, that, that probably, you know, showed everybody like, okay, he's got the chops for this. He's going to make it work. I, I really I really think you should, Bob. Just go, you know, at least watch the first episode and see what you think. But at least of his character and then think of uh, of him as a Reed Richards. I think it'd be very interesting. Um, so so then Vanessa Kirby as Invisible Woman. Again, I don't know anything about Vanessa Kirby. I'm just looking her up here. But looks like uh, she's an Eng English actress. And uh, she was in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2. That's or, or sorry, that's that's what's uh, sorry <laughs> that that sounded very ignorant. That's what's coming up. <laughs> My apologies. Um, but yeah, she's she was in Napoleon. She was uh, in Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, uh, Pieces of a Woman. Um, uh, I, I don't know. She was in a Mission Impossible movie. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not sure which one that is. But yeah, she's got a few credits to her name. Looks like uh, people definitely know who she is. I'm not familiar with her at all. So so sorry those. Those movies aren't you – know, I haven't really seen any of those movies. So, And then we have Joseph Quinn <laughs> uh, playing the the Human Torch there. Uh, and, and Joseph Quinn, uh, Eddie Munson from Stranger Things. That's his big credit there. I know that was like kind of like a fan favorite, like breakout character and everything. Mm -hmm. So probably a smart casting choice on on their behalf there. I, did, I, I haven't really followed Stranger Things religiously, so I, I don't know. I mean I've seen them. But. Which it may have worked out for him playing uh, the Human Torch uh, because look at the kick in the pants Chris Evans got for playing the Human <laughs> yeah, Torch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, might be uh, uh, huge for him. Yeah, yeah. It might might be a very good thing. I agree. Um, and then uh, lastly, Evan Moss as the uh, 
the thing as Ben Grimm. The only thing you know that I'm seeing here that anybody might know him from is is the Bear. Uh, it's a show on FX. I'm not familiar with that, so I or, or sorry, the Bear and you know what, Bob? Let me let me eat my uh, shoe for a second there, or whatever my hat, whatever the term is. I don't know whatever you're supposed to eat, but uh, so you can put your foot in your mouth. There you go. Um, he was also on the Punisher Netflix series, and he was also in Andor. So. Maybe you're familiar with him, Bob, because um, he was on Star Wars Andor. Um, he he, do, he doesn't look familiar, but I mean, I definitely saw Andor. So yeah, maybe he's a side if, if I saw him, if I saw him in costume, mm-hmm. then I would know who he is. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that's that's like the Fantastic Forecasting news. So so pretty cool. And and like I said, just just kind of like a quick announcement. It's not like you know we know much about these actors other than Pedro Pascal and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and whatever. So um, the I, I think the real question on everybody's mind, and of course, you know, the big thing here is, is going to be who's playing Herbie. <laughs> you know, that's the most important thing. Robbie um, the robot. Yeah. Um, who's playing Herbie? And, you know, are we getting like a CG Herbie? Are we getting a, a practical Herbie? Are they going to create, is Disney going to come out and create an actual Herbie? You know, um, pretty important question. I mean, they've basically done it before. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so why not? Um, Next up, Bob, I want to talk about. Look, I'm going to see this movie today. Uh, I, I'm, you know, right after we get done recording this podcast, I'm going to go see Madam Web. Mm-hmm. So there's lots and lots of opinions about Madam Web. There's there lots is. of reactions. There there's like, like we're following that trend that every time a new movie comes out, you know, it's the worst thing ever made. It's the it tops the charts for worst movie ever made. It's the worst rated. Blah mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You and I don't put any weight into stuff like that. Uh, you know, I'm I'm never gonna shit on something that I haven't seen yet because way too many times have I heard this is the worst possible thing ever made, right. and then I see it and I like it. Right. Um, or or the complete reverse. You know, uh, uh, people absolutely love something; it's critically acclaimed, and I hate it. Uh, you know, over I, I was sick a couple of weeks ago. I had I got my second round of COVID, and uh, you know, I watched a lot of movies. I sat home and tried to catch up on a lot of things that I hadn't seen. I watched that Joaquin Phoenix movie, Bo is Afraid, if you if you recall that. Um, it was like an A24 movie, uh, whatever. Bob, the worst thing I have ever sat through. Like, I, I'm telling you, the, and, and when I say the worst thing I've ever sat through, I'm not talking about the Batman level because I couldn't sit through that. But uh, the worst thing that I actually sat down and made myself sit through, I have no idea what was going on in this movie. It was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was like, if... Like, uh, Hereditary and The Truman Show tried to have a, a baby that was, like, the dumbest thing. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what was going on. It was terrible. Well, at least at least for this one, you didn't try to sit through it seven times. No, I, I, I wouldn't it. have. You yeah, finished this one. Yeah, there's there's no way I'd ever um, ever give this a shot again. But uh, but I'm, I'm just, you know, the reason I'm saying that is not to shit on, on movies or people's art or things that people like. It's that... You know, uh, opinions vary, you know, so much from person to person. So don't like in, in my opinion, you know, and I, I know you share the sentiment too. like don't get wrapped up in reviews, early reviews, like all of that stuff. Like, you know, yes, yeah, so many people say Morbius was the worst superhero ever made superhero movie ever made and all that. Like, did you watch it or are you just out there looking at memes and, and talking bad about it? For you know, me, like for me, that still might be George Lucas's Howard the Duck. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's important. You know, 
go out and form your own opinion. Don't just piggyback on what everybody else says about something. That's the shitty mob mentality that we get now. And that's what happens to everything. People either, you know, they don't see something and they say it's the greatest thing ever made. They, they don't see it. They say it's the worst movie ever made. Like, go see it, you know? You know, and to go along with what you were saying, um, I a few a few weeks ago I actually should have waited because it's on Disney Plus right now, mm -hmm. and I actually you know shelled out money to uh, buy it mm -hmm. on Amazon, but I actually watched the Marvels yep. a few mm -hmm. weeks ago, and you know of course we've all heard oh know, yeah the opinion oh, how yeah. bad it is all that kind of stuff. Was it a perfect movie? No. Was it a fun movie? I thought it was a very fun movie. Yeah, I watched it too. I I actually really liked it a lot. Um, I thought it was really good. Uh, I, I'm with you. I mean, there's, you know, there it has issues. Like, mm. if you really want to break it down and say, like, is this the greatest thing ever made? No, it's not. No, but and, and um, I mean, un unfortunately, one of the negative points it suffers from the same thing that most Marvel movies suffer from. The villain characterization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I I really liked, um, and I can't recall her name now, uh, who played um, the villain. I can't I can't recall the actress's name now. Yeah, me either. <laughs> but you know, unfortunately for me, it was it was just a um, one note character, one note villain. Yeah, it, it is funny how like in all and 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 this encompasses everything. You know, like in in all. Uh, you know, actiony movies lately. Uh, whether it's superhero, comic book, um, if it's just like a, a straight original like action piece or whatever, like it, the villains really do suffer. It's like they're not mm -hmm. fleshed out, they're not mm -hmm. well thought out. It's kind of like let's just throw together like a quick like throwaway character who's gonna get defeated by the end of this or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. but I I would say this, you know, for for as much negative stuff as we heard about the Marvels and everything before we saw it, um. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, seeing Iman Vellani on the on, on the screen like that, you know, up she, against like you know big actors and everything. She was the highlight of the film. God, man, she has such a future ahead of her. She like, does. you know, it, she's in there. She, I, I cannot praise her enough. She's in there writing comic books. You know, she's writing Miss Marvel stuff. Uh, she's she's acting the part um, really really well. She's like fully involved in this, and and she has such a bright future ahead of her. I want to see her continue to write comic books forever, and and really, it, it, she's such a cool person. And yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, she's like you said, she's in there with you know, actress, an actress like Brie Larson. Exactly. To me, she outshone Brie Larson. Yeah, she was she was really really good, yeah. um, really good. Oh, yeah. I, I can't I can't say enough good stuff about her performance, um, and and her show and in this movie really really good stuff i i hope that god i hope she never falls off i, I really want to see so much more from her um but yeah uh you know just to point it out you know of course you know all the usual stuff low score on rotten tomatoes low metacritic blah 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 Sound all, all of yada, yada yada yeah yeah all the crap that doesn't matter it's not really yeah, news, whatever, all the, all but, the um, stuff that doesn't make sense because it's usually Critic score. Yes, exactly. But I, I put weight on the audience score. Exactly. Uh, me too. But uh, again, like uh, lately, there's just so much of that mob yeah. mentality. Yeah. You know, they're 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 siding with critics and stuff before they mm. even see it. So, mm. yeah, you, you have to you have to be careful because I wonder, you know, with something like Rotten Tomatoes, which is you know obviously we it's already been exposed. It's a huge scam, anyways. But um, we reported on that you know a while ago. Uh, but 
how many of these people actually went out and saw the movie and how many people just have an account on Rotten Tomatoes and say, oh, everyone else hates this movie, let me give it a low score. You well, know? And, and, you know, here, here's the thing, and, I'm, and I, I hate going this direction, but it is true with a lot of these movies, especially the last few years, you get a lot of those woke haters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. That's that's a huge thing. Don't, um, I mean, don't even don't even see the stuff, but, I mean, just just from what they've, you know, read and what they've heard and what they've seen, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's kind of like, okay, they form an opinion that it's a woke movie. I'm not going to see it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's really sad that, uh, that that's where we are as a society now. But uh, moving on to some more, you know, possible positive news. I don't know. Uh, this is this is a rumor, Bob. So, you know, okay. we can't put too much weight behind okay. it just yet, but we can talk about it. Uh, Midnight Suns is rumored to, uh, you know, be a movie. <laughs> the Midnight Suns. Um, I've, I've heard about this. Yeah. Uh, God, Bob, I, I can, the only thing I can say is, is like, I really hope so. I think that this could be so big for Marvel. Um, you have so many like fan favorite characters and I was, I was in the gonna, Midnight Suns. I was going to say, is there any rumor for, you know, what characters they could possibly use? Because I mean, the Midnight Suns have had so many members over the years. Oh yeah. Uh, so many, uh, but you know, what should we talk about the most like prevalent like uh you know the the ones that uh, uh I, I i can't think of the word but <laughs> you know what i mean like the the ones that uh you know are always pointed out as being you know on the team or, or whatever of course you know blade uh dr strange dr strange ghost, ghost rider yeah ghost rider's a big big Jamie one Holstrom. yes um elsa bloodstone morbius yeah dr voodoo yep uh Sometimes Moon Knight, um, definitely my favorite character of all time. Bob. Of course, yeah, Man Thing. <laughs> so, um, and Man Thing's already been introduced in the MCU. Yeah. So, so why the hell not? You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes we've got Iron Fist. We got uh, yeah. There's there's a what uh, there was a there was a spider. Um, who was it? Uh, Scarlet Spider, right? Scarlet Spider was one time I on the on so, the Midnight yes. Suns. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah. Just imagine getting. A Ghost Rider announcement, you know, in a in a Midnight Suns movie, um, along with Blade or something. What's happening with Blade? You know, with the uh, with the actual MCU movie. Like, is it ever going to happen? We don't know. What if they just kind of can that and, and introduce? Uh, how do you say that actor's name? Uh, Marshahala Ali. Marshahala Ali. Yeah. Um, introduce him in a, in a Midnight Suns role. That w- that would be so cool. So, yeah. Again, just just kind of rumors that are out there, but. I don't know. Pretty strong rumors. A lot of outlets are talking about that. Very, I, very big. I, I'd definitely be down for midnight. Summer. Oh yeah, I think that that could be fantastic. Um, all right, Bob. Next big news. You saw the Deadpool three trailer. I saw the Deadpool three trailer. The question is, how many times did you see the Deadpool <laughs> three trailer? A couple, a couple. Um, but I, you know what? This is probably the biggest news of the year. Um, I actually watched the Super Bowl. Really. I know, surprising, wow. right? Uh, it, it wasn't like my intention. Did you watch it from start to finish? Well, I think I, I you know, forgive me. I know nothing about sports, as you know, mm. but um, I came home and it was already on. My wife was actually watching it, so uh, I want to say it was like in the beginning of like the second uh, what quarter. Is that how is that how you say it? Football quarter. I mean, what time? Did, what time did you get home? Uh, I don't know, um, but. 
But I it was it was well before the halftime show. I okay. know that. But it had already okay. started. There was already points on the board. Okay. Uh, again, I'm sounding very ignorant. I don't know if points on the board is a football term, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's it, good enough. Yeah, sure. Um there was already things happening. There was things in motion. Um, <laughs> and 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 you know, just to you know, leave everybody in suspense about Deadpool three for a second. Um, I will say, you know, while I don't like sports, I'm not into, you know, football, all of that. It was an intriguing watch. Like it, it did move very. Uh, the pacing was nice, uh, and, and and I know this is a you know a, a game that happened. It's not like a predetermined thing, but yeah, but but the pacing was nice. You know, it held my interest because mm-hmm. there was a good amount of back and forth. Like you actually didn't know what was going to happen. Like uh, I think a lot of things were surprising. I think the overtime aspect of it to somebody who doesn't watch sports, uh, I I didn't know that that could happen. I mean, I I know that there is a overtime in games but i didn't know that that was a possibility well, in this uh you know well this was this was a new overtime so this was new to everybody <laughs> yeah um yeah so it I, I think it was very very interesting and you know the yeah uh you know we're, we're both of a similar age so you know uh, usher coming out and doing the halftime performance was impactful that was cool uh, that yeah. was actually one of the better halftime shows <laughs> in the past few years okay um but yeah there was there was a lot of there was a lot of moving parts. There was a lot of cool things happening. And of course we had all the, uh, Taylor Swift and boyfriend, you know, stuff going on, whatever that guy's name is. And, uh, Travis Kelsey. Sure. Um, and yeah, there was, I, I think there was a lot on the line. I think a lot of people, you know, were really into this. Of course there was that big, uh, bet that Drake made, you know, for, uh, God, I can't even think of how much money it was. Two million dollars, or maybe more than that. That's um, probably pot. That probably he, he digs under his couch and finds that. Well, you know the cool thing about it, whatever the amount is, I can't remember. But um, he actually placed that bet, and since he won the bet, he announced he would be giving that amount away to a fan at his next show. So, Bob, buy your tickets to the next Drake show. <laughs> is all I can say. You you could possibly uh, be a millionaire, but um. But yeah, uh, just there was there was so much cool stuff going on with it, and to my recollection, you know, the Super Bowl is not usually like that. It's usually very straightforward. There's two teams playing, one of them wins, blah, whatever. End of story. This had a lot going on. You know, there's a lot of pop culture in this. So, mm-hmm. um, is is basically what I'm saying. So, so while it's something that I you know typically shy away from, I'm pretty glad that I you know saw it in real time. I'm pretty glad that I was like somewhat involved. I think it was cool. Now, do I think that, you know, next year I'm going to be excited to watch Super Bowl? Probably not. But if it happens again, you know, at least I have some context for what's going on. Right. But that brings us back to Deadpool 3, you know, to, to, to tie all that, that back in. That was a giant circle. It, it was a big made. circle. I just, I was very proud of myself for watching a football game, Bob. I'm so, proud um, of you Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, we got the Deadpool 3 trailer. Uh I think, you know, obviously everybody, you know, was expecting a Deadpool 3 trailer. Oh, yeah. So so that oh, yeah. wasn't a huge surprise or anything. Were you surprised of the content of the Deadpool 3 trailer? Like, what stood out to you? Was there any... Uh, we knew some stuff was going to happen. We've mm-hmm. heard so much. But uh, was there anything in there where you were like, holy shit? You know, talk to me about it. Well, I mean, there were a lot of rumored mm-hmm. things. So... You didn't know exactly if it was going to happen. I mean, <laughs> if it was going to happen, what well, was going to happen? Right. Yeah, you what they're going to show in a trailer. Exactly. You know, if Deadpool was actually going to visit the TVA. Yeah. Uh huh. Which I'm hoping they get <laughs> Owen Wilson. Oh God, yeah. For this movie. Yeah, that would be great. And I mean, a Tom Hiddleston character uh, cameo. I'm sorry. <laughs> or you know, a nod to his character. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would that would be great. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I wasn't expecting the. Of course, I wasn't expecting the whole Deadpool with hair. <laughs> I don't think anybody was expecting mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. That was that was kind of, that was kind of weird to see. Yeah. Um, you know, of of course, nobody was expecting the 20th Century Fox logo sticking out of the sand. Oh man, that was great. I think that was one of my favorite parts. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. I didn't see the nod. I didn't see the Secret Wars comic. Okay, yeah, I didn't. See I didn't. That not, I yeah, didn't I, see that. I, I hadn't looked for it. But which yeah. I, which, you know, I heard it was a blink and you'll miss it moment. Sure, I'll have to go back and slow it down and watch. Mm-hmm. It. Yeah, watch one of those like uh, YouTube breakdowns where it's like a uh, three hour long video on the thirty second trailer or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, they'll they'll break it down good for you. Yeah, but there was a lot packed into this. There was a lot. I, I want to say this one of my you know one of the most interesting aspects to me and and again this is like another rumor that's online so we'll have to see if it actually pans out or not but uh, was you know we got that reveal of, of what it, what I would assume is patch um, you know the white suit Wolverine and everything from behind there's a lot of speculation online that that's Daniel Radcliffe playing patch. I've heard that rumor for a long, long time now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what if? I actually, I actually think that would be visually some good casting. Oh yeah, that would be so cool. And yeah, I mean, I hope so. I I think that that would be really, really cool. I think that that would a huge fan service. Um, really, really cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, of course, you know, if, if you guys don't know, which I'm sure you all do. Uh, Patch is like a, a Wolverine variant, basically. Right. It was, it was basically Wolverine hiding out in Madripoor. Yep. Uh huh. And um and the first appearance of, of Wolverine as Patch was in the Wolverine number one from 1988. So uh, I don't know. Um, I have got plenty of copies of it. You know, if, if you need one, come see me. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, the white the white suit Wolverine there. Um, and and when we say suit, we mean you know uh, what what do you call that? Like a like a tux type of suit, not right. not like a not a combat suit or anything. But um, yeah, there was a lot packed into this. It was really fun. The whole look, everything that happened in the Super Bowl, fun. It was cool vibes. I'm I'm glad you know uh, maybe for two hours or whatever you could kind of bring uh, America back together uh, at least <laughs> around the TV, um, which is really hard to do in, yeah. in 2024 year of the Bob. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm happy that that exists. Uh, so really cool. Uh, next up in news, Bob, there's been some second prints that got announced um, from, from some big books and some stuff you might not expect. Uh, Batman 142, the Joker Year One Part One, it was announced for a second print. How many copies do you have? I only have the one, uh, and, and I will not be buying a second <laughs> print. But, uh, you know, it, for people that are into that, that's happening. Thundercats 1 is getting a second print. And here's what I'm surprised about with that, Bob. Uh, we talked before about how many covers there were for this. How many copies of Thundercats number one do you think were in existence? Like a billion? And now it's getting a second print, so there's going to be two billion. <laughs> but, um, but I, I, you know, I think it earned it. It was a good book. We were both happy with it. Um, it had, you know, the flaws that we pointed out, but mm-hmm. uh, but we liked it, and I'm excited for issue two. Bob, the book that we're covering today is already announced for a second printing. Really? How exciting is that? Wow. Like we have some historic moments with this book. It's it's got a second printing. We're you know if if I didn't already say it, this is the first episode where the book that we're covering, I have the creator interview attached to this episode. So 
after you hear us talk about the displaced, you're going to hear Ed Brisson talk about the displaced, where it came from, all of that stuff. And, and now we're getting a second printing, like such good stuff happening with this book right out the gate, which is mm. cool. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man two, which isn't even out yet, has a second printing coming. Um, no, no surprise, but, but cool. Uh, Red Hood and uh, sorry, Red Hood, the Hill zero, uh, has a second printing coming. Wolverine 43 has a second print coming. Uh, and one hand number one, which is the new Rom V book. Um, I just read that the other day. That's also got a second printing coming. So some exciting, uh, books going back for second printings, uh, there, um, Bob, the next thing, and again, I know, I know, we're on news still. It's we're 32 minutes in, we're still talking <laughs> about news, but I, I, I'm, I'm happy. You know, there's news. Uh, it's, yeah. it's exciting. Yeah, uh, it doesn't happen very often. Never. Um, what about that X Men '97 trailer? I know you watched it. Yes. Uh, let's talk about it a little bit. We don't have to go into like every little detail, of course. But are you? Does it fit your expectations? Were you excited? Um, was there anything that you know stood out to you? Like just. Okay, my, uh, a a buddy and my a buddy and me were having this conversation, uh, texting back and forth, mm-hmm. and I gotta say I'm kind of disappointed. Really? Yes. Why? <laughs> I'm not disappointed with the with uh you know the actual trailer itself. Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed in the fact I wish they kept the original animation style. Yes, I I hear you. I I definitely hear you. I think it's not, you know, at this point in time, it's it's just, how do you even do that? You know, we, we've moved so far beyond that at this point. I don't know. Do those kind of studios even exist anymore? I mean, you have to think back in the 90s, they were shipping things overseas and paying, you know, illustrators like a penny an hour to, you know, well, get yeah. a whole episode out in five well, minutes. Yeah, like, but, but I mean, the Lego movie, I mean... Before you knew about it, you couldn't tell that people weren't putting together Legos and <laughs> taking them apart. No, it, it, I'm not saying it can't be done. I just think that, you know, uh, from like a financial standpoint, it probably doesn't make sense to try to do something like that anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I was, I mean, I, again, I like the trailer overall, but mm-hmm. seeing it with like a smoother Japanese anime-inspired yeah. animation was just, was just weird to me. I'm, I mean, I'm sitting in the trailer thinking like, you couldn't have kept the original animation. <laughs> I don't think so, but uh, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I hear you. Um, that was pretty jarring. I, I won't lie, but I, I do understand. I think I understand. You know why? But uh, how about you know the team obviously being led by Scott Summers there? Um, hopefully, hopefully they actually um, characterize Scott Summer better than they have in the movies. <laughs> I'm sure they will. I don't think they'll falter uh, with, with that in the animated series. Um, we hear we get to hear that iconic uh, theme again, like which is cool. Uh, yeah, there was there was a lot about this that I really, really liked a lot. I got to see my girl Jubilee, so that's you know that's all I care about. Uh, once I saw Jubilee, I was very, very excited. Um, really cool. Uh, but yeah, it's I, I don't know, it's interesting. It, 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 you, you have to think where that uh, where the X-Men animated series left off, you know, with Professor X and, and all of that. How about the ending of this trailer? Because um, that was like a sting. Like that was, uh, and, and I'll refresh your memory if you don't remember, obviously, spoiler alerts for a trailer. But, you know, um, uh, you know, kind of ends with Magneto there, uh, showing everybody the, the will of Charles Xavier. 
um, and that he owns everything, uh, which is going to throw a huge wrench in, in Scott Summers' plans probably and all of the X-Men and all of that. Um, so, yeah, that's got implications and everything. Uh, this is going to arrive on Disney Plus in March 20th, so you know, just a little over a month away. Uh, Finally. Yeah. I'm, I have to say I'm really hyped for this. I'm really stoked about it. This is obviously playing hugely into, you know, the nostalgic factor and everything. But Mm -hmm. obviously I was a very, very big X-Men animated series fan. um, And I think you were too. So I know we're both going to give it a shot and see what happens. But uh, I'm excited about this, I I have to say. This is a cool trailer. Um, It sucks that, you know, yeah, it couldn't go back to the well and and have that hand-drawn animation style for you. But... I, I think you're going to get past that once you get into the first episode, Bob. I think that you're going to move past it. <laughs> we can only hope. Last in news, I want to talk about you know some more X-Men, some more Wolverine. Uh, we're Wolverine and X-Men heavy on the news today. Yep. Helverine is getting <laughs> his own solo series. It's a four-issue mini that's coming out in May. Bob, Helverine is such a cool Wolverine character. Uh, just... Everything's on fire. He's got fire breath. His his he's got you know he's exceeded the hot claws. He's just the flaming claws. He's just on fire. It's it's he just, leveled up. He really did. It's essentially a Ghost Rider Wolverine mashup, mm-hmm. um, which really really worked. I think it was really cool, uh, and and I'm really excited to see uh, a four issue series for that character. So that is very cool. Um, but Bob, that is all I have for the news. You know, thirty-seven minutes <laughs> in, I think we can, we can move away from the news now. <laughs> Look, there's probably other news out there, but uh, I think we'll put a cap on it and maybe save some for next week. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna talk about some new books that dropped in comic book shops this week. And we are back with episode number fifty-seven of the all new, all different number one comics podcast. Bob, let's talk about some new comic books that hit shops this week really quickly. <laughs> that. Uh, uh, first, we had The Cabinet, number one from Image Comics. This has two teens teleported across a post-Cold World Cold War landscape to collect bizarre relics to summon the powers of a 17th century cabinet that unleashed an ancient evil from its prison. Interesting. Wow. Interesting premise. Yeah, I can't wait to read that one. I've got a copy of it over there. Uh uh, Displaced number one came out. Of course, the book that we're talking about today, Divine Power issue number one came out from Scout Comics. Now, I just had the creator of this book, Tom, on to talk about all about this book and and everything. This is Tom's first book, and it is fantastic. Just to point that out, uh, by the way. But uh, if you guys can grab a copy, definitely grab a copy. It's a very cool book. Our shop sold out. You know, when I was there picking up my book, so uh, that's that's really cool. Uh, this one is. Yeah, I mean, there's no way for me to explain the concept. Death mm-hmm. by the hands of a fantastical cult becomes the catalyst for an adventure that defines a man's imagination, revealing unimaginable horrors and a glimmer of hope that motivates him to reunite with his recently deceased parents in the afterlife. Uh, that's the synopsis, but let me tell you, you, you read this first issue and you're like, uh-huh, what? Like, this is crazy. Um, not like in a confusing way. It's just, it's it's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy book. Really good. Um, next up from Dark Horse Comics is the new Matt Kent book. Um, and just a fair warning for this one. It is, it's that magazine size. So, you know, know that going into it. If you don't have room for magazine size books, if you don't have bags and boards, whatever, just know that going in. Sometimes I hate that surprise. Uh, uh, this one is, if you find this, I'm already dead. Number one, it is a big city reporter embedded in the U.S., 
uh, Marines in a hostile pocket universe called the Terminus finds herself alone and in survival mode after the entire squad is wiped out in 10 minutes. So pretty intense, uh, <laughs> pretty high stakes there. Yeah, it sounds like a fun book. Next up from Image Comics is The Infernals, number one. This one is the son of Satan, which has one month to live, but before he dies, he must decide which of his three children will inherit his shadowy empire. Crazy, again, crazy concepts. Uh, <laughs> where are these so people just, coming up with this Just stuff? real quick, where does he go when he dies? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he just wiped out of existence. Uh, yeah, I'm great question i don't know um and speaking of the super bowl bob this isn't something that we see typically <laughs> you know uh, for new comics but we have mad magazine issue 36 of course has a parody cover of taylor swift and travis kelsey is that how kelsey. i say his last name okay yeah and uh, you know i love how I, I love and hate how mad does this because they have some really fantastic artists you know working on their covers and everything but that that mad face, you know, it's just it's horrendous to look at. I hate looking at it. <laughs> and they they do this, you know, they take like a well-known celebrity or something and, and make it that guy's face. So mm -hmm. you have the the beautiful Taylor Swift next to the Mad Magazine guy, and he's got like, you know, I don't know, he looks like he smells bad. But <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a thing. Um, and and yeah, Mad Magazine back on back on the uh, speculation list for the week. So pretty interesting. Not something that happens very often. Next up from Marvel Comics, Night Thrasher, number one. Uh, this is the first appearance of the OG, a criminal antagonist. Very exciting. Uh, Bob, you know, I, I don't know what to say about this one. Penthouse has come out with, with comic books. This is not the first time because they've actually had comics before. Really? Yeah, I, I don't know what year that was or anything, but yeah, they've published comic books before. These, again, are those magazine-sized books. And and I will say this, because I did grab a copy of, of one of them. Vanessa Del Rey did a cover. Um, so okay. I love Vanessa Del Rey. You know, we talked about Vanessa Del Rey before we did the Basic Instinct book, and Vanessa Del Rey was the artist on that, so I was very excited. So I always pick up her stuff when I can. Uh, I picked this up, and, and I did open it up, you know, just to kind of see what it was about and everything. And it's, it's basically like an anthology uh, series. It does, you know, most of them do feature nudity, so just know that going in. But of course, it's got the penthouse, you know. So uh, NSFW. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, but you know, you would imagine with the penthouse logo, it's yeah. off the cross, uh, <laughs> yeah. across the top. Um, and I will say this: when I, you know, flipped to the end of the magazine, it was a traditional like nude spread, like an actual photo gallery of like a model who's fully nude and everything. It wasn't, it wasn't illustrated or anything like that. So. You know, know that going in. If, if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, if you don't want to see that, whatever, like that, that's there. So uh, just know that going in. Next up from Critical Entertainment, Bob. Um, I, I just had Chris on from Critical Entertainment. I interviewed him to talk about his uh, comic book company and also his writing. Uh, he's done a lot of things. He We talked about the first Americans and, and all of that. He's got a book out in local comic book shops this week called Planetary Expansion. It's uh, abandoning their lives on Earth. 1,000 hand-selected passengers aboard a starship head to repopulate a new inhabitable planet. Habitable planet, sorry. Um, yeah, Chris, a fantastic writer. Really, really cool guy that I talked to, by the way. So check out that interview if you can. Uh, next up from DC Comics, we have Red Hood, The Hill, number one. Possible first appearance of uh, villains. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and then after that, from Acme Inc., we got a rock and roll biography of the Foo Fighters. 
Uh, I picked up a copy of this. Mm-hmm. You know, why not? Th- those are always fun. I love these rock and roll biographies. They're always cool. Uh, from Marvel Comics, we got Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, issue number one. Uh, the first issue in a four-part limited series. Of course, written by Steve Orlando. Bob, we just talked to Steve Orlando. We just had him on the show. Uh, really, really cool creator. Um, God, I can't say enough good stuff about Steve Orlando. So definitely check out that interview. Definitely check out this book. Steve Orlando's a fantastic writer. From DC Comics, we got Sinister Sons, issue number one, the premiere issue featuring the son of General Zod and the son of Sinestro. So this is like in fashion uh, with Super Sons, you know, the... Uh, oh god now I can't think of Kent's uh, what's his name Um, uh, Superman's son oh uh, Jonathan Jonathan Kent yeah Jonathan Kent and Damian Wayne Um, uh, Bob here's a hot take I I know everybody loved that Super Son series god I thought that was the most annoying comic book I ever tried to read in my life I hated that book I thought it was terrible Um, and it was just like it it was like hey let's take two snotty nosed like you know kids who are superheroes sons and put them in a book together i was like who wants to read this but people love it um so i'm not trash talking it i just didn't like it but um so i wasn't interested in picking this up at all i skipped over this but real real mm-hmm. quick before you go on is his name sonestro <laughs> if not that's a huge wasted opportunity <laughs> i i couldn't even laugh because i was swallowing water at that point but yeah sonestro i like that i hope so uh i mean I, I would say I'd pick up a copy to find out, but I'm not interested, so uh, let us know. Um, uh, we also got Spider-Gwen Smash 3. This one has a very cool 1 in 25 Dazzler cover. I've got my copy over there. Really cool cover, kind of taking off right now. And then we also have from Dark Horse Comics, Star Wars High Republic Adventures, issue number 3, with the first appearance of someone whose name I can't say that is a <laughs> that is a pop star. I didn't know we had pop stars in the Star Wars universe, so that's cool. Um, and the first appearance of Niv Drendo, uh, who, whomever that is. Uh, apparently, we also got the second printing of Ultimate Spider-Man number one, which somehow I missed. Uh, very sad about that, but hey, happens. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to talk about the displays number one. And we are back with episode number 57 of the all-new, all-different number one comics podcast. Bob, we are about to talk about Boom Studios' new number one, The Displaced. Of course, written by Ed Brisson with art by Luca Casalaguida. Right? That's good enough. Right. Good enough. Good enough, right? Um, Sorry if we butchered your last we, name. We probably did, but um, to be fair, I'd butcher Smith also. So uh, That is true. Yeah. Um, I'm not great at pronouncing names, as you guys all know who have been with us since episode number one. It, but by the way, if you've been with us since episode number one, thank you so much. Uh, much appreciated. We, we definitely well, appreciate that. Yeah, Bob, we have been gaining a steady uh, <laughs> a, a increase of uh, listeners, you know, um, lately. Like, uh, we're, I, I'm, I'm not going to say we're blowing up or anything like that. You know, it's not that big yet, but, uh, you know, from where we were to where we are now is, is, is steadily increased. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, we just appreciate you guys so much. It's like every time I post an episode, it gets you know downloaded right away. Um, you know, it's 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 really cool. So yeah, much and and, uh, and um, going on that note, you actually sent me something pretty intriguing that goes along with that mm-hmm. game study uh, listeners on that uh, comic you bought. Yes, yes. Which which I found really weird that. <laughs> He actually posted on the packaging 
Yeah. The name of the podcast question mark. And <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, hey, are are you the guy from that podcast? Yeah. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Uh, yeah, really cool. Uh, I that that was that was pretty awesome. So yeah, who, I mean, whoever did that, we you know we definitely appreciate stuff like that. Yeah, uh, very much so. Yeah, you guys have been an awesome uh, audience, really dedicated and, and been really cool. We appreciate the support so much because I I know we both really love doing this. So. Yes. Um, so it's just such an added bonus that there's actually people listening and it's not just you and I talking in a room and recording it, um, exactly. which, people you know, wanted to listen would, to us. yeah, w- would be fine either way. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I'd love to sit around and talk about comic books, but it's cool that, that people listen. Um, so, so thank you guys so much for that. Uh, let's get into the book, Bob, enough hearing me ramble about nonsense. <laughs> let's hear me ramble about more nonsense. Um, uh, the Displaced number one, it is the city of Oshawa, Ontario has vanished without a trace even worse, nobody remembers it or the 170,000 missing residents that disappeared along with it. As the survivors fall into the forgotten, they must seek each other out if they hope to have any chance of surviving in a world where no one believes they exist. Highly acclaimed writer Ed Brisson and rising star Luca Casaladguida, right? <laughs> and red hot colorist D kind of posed the question, how can you feel connected to reality or each other by if all in never, sorry, all veritable means you don't exist. Um, I love the concept of this book. First, let me just say that I'm going to get into the creators and get into my uh, synopsis and everything too. But this is a really, really cool concept. Uh, Let's talk about Ed Brisson for a second. I don't have to say much because, again, you're gonna you're gonna be hearing Ed Brisson talk about all of his accomplishments and everything in just a moment. You know, uh, whenever this uh, portion of the episode's over and we we close out our our stuff, you're gonna hear the Ed Brisson interview and all of that. Ed Brisson did a whole crap load of Old Man Logan, um, uh, Sons of Anarchy, uh, Uncanny X Men, X Force, New Mutants, Ghost Rider. Uh, anyways, I'm I'm not even gonna bother because we already did this on the <laughs> on the interview. Yeah, so that's, that's a very long list. Yeah, just just go over and listen to that. Um, Ed Brisson has done a lot of things that you love. I, I can I can say that. And Luca has uh, worked on James Bond: The Body, James Bond: Kill Chain, James Bond: Hammerhead. Regarding the matter of Oswell's body, Scouts Honor, James Bond: Agent of Spectre, Lost Soldiers, Dancing with Dragons, Still in Dog, New America. Uh, more James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think Luca might be a James Bond fan. I do too. Um, which is, which is really cool. I, I applaud you for that. Cause I am too. Um, but yeah, uh, Bob, let me get into my synopsis of this book. It's very long winded as you guys are probably used to at this point. I'm going to try to get through it pretty fast, but we all know what happens when I try to read fast. <laughs> uh, the displaced opens on Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. We see an older man who's broken into a gated area containing school buses. He hotwires one and drives off, stating that he hopes it's not too late. We next meet some characters in a bar in Ajax, Ontario, as they try to recall another guy who's there, whose name they can't remember, but they talk about some high school rumors about him and all of that. We go back over to Oshawa. We meet a couple with a baby and they've run out of diapers in the middle of the night and the mother goes out to get some from a convenience store that's located a little outside of town. She buys the diapers in Whitby, which is the town, and an earthquake type of event happens. We flash back over to the outskirts of 
Ashwa and the old man is lighting the bus on fire. One of the guys from the bar scene runs over to the old man and tries to help him. The mom who went out for diapers rushes back home and calls her partner, but the call gets disconnected and she crashes into the man who is helping the older man. Just then the entire town falls into a sinkhole and it's gone. <laughs> we move over to the day after and the news cycle is nonstop covering the event and the displaced survivors are held in a school gym. Back over to the old man and the guy from the bar, uh, Harold, the old man, uh, tells him that this has happened before and names some cities that no one has ever heard of. He tells him that everyone forgets. And then two days after the event, we see the mom trying to come to terms with her partner's family blaming her. Uh, three days after the event, we see the man from the bar as he talks to a woman. She shows him memes of people like just being done with hearing about it. Uh, very, very funny scene, but we'll get into that. Um, and then back over to Ajax, the man from the bar discusses kind of being happy that his father's gone because he didn't have to worry about his dad suffering and, and all of that anymore. And just then they feel an event happening again. The crew goes out to find the sinkhole completely gone and uh, Oshawa completely gone too. It never existed at that point. So that is my little synopsis there. Let's get into this thing. Bob, it's going to be hard to make this quick, but we are, I, I think we can do it. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I want to, all right. How about the characters? Let's, let's start with the story or I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My apologies. Let's start with the story. How about the beats? <laughs> how about the beats of this story? Uh, I, I think, I think it, I think it flowed. The only, the only maybe hiccup was, you know, the flashbacks, mm -hmm. but you know, unlike some previous books that we've done, it actually explains, you know, like one day later, yeah, you know, uh -huh. like five days later. I love the way this is set up because it, it, it you know, narratively it, it takes place, you know, in real time. And then we, yeah, like you said, it goes over to a day later, two days later, three days later, all of that. Um, I, I really love certain scenes in this a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. That bar scene you know, where they're, where they're talking about the kid, like, what was that guy's name and all of that? Like, that was a scene out of real life. Yeah, and it was. Uh, I mean, how many times has that happened to you? You know, where you and your friends are like, what was that guy's name? And then, like, all these stories emerge, you know. Uh, think about, like, when we were in middle school and high school and stuff and all the stories that surrounded people, you know, like, there were some really bad ones, you know. Uh, mm. This guy did this. This girl did this, whatever. Um, and, and I won't, you know, bring out anything specific because they're, you know, high school and middle school kids are probably too bad to talk about now. But, uh, but um, uh, yeah, there, there were so many, like, rumors that ran around people. I, I just, you know, think about, like, rumors from when we were kids now, like, big rumors and stuff, even not uh, associated with people that we knew. Remember the big, like, Marilyn Manson one and stuff like that? There's so many crazy rumors that, you know, uh, people kind of see as, like, reality, even though they never clarify things like that, mm -hmm. you know. And, and I feel like that happens. And also, yeah, that really happens. You see somebody, you're like, I know that person. I know we went, you know, all the way through kindergarten to graduation together. I well, don't remember I don't their name. Know his name. <laughs> yeah, what was that guy's name? Um, and actually, Bob, you know, before I get further into it, and and you'll hear it in the interview, that was the catalyst for this book. Ed was saying that he ran into a guy that he was like friends with you know in school they were good friends like he went back to his hometown he was like hey what's up dude like i haven't seen you in forever and the guy's like who, who the hell are you i don't know who you are wow. 
Wow. Yeah. So that was like his catalyst for, for coming up with this, which is really, wow. really cool to me. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like the way that this story moves along. I really like the way you're going to see as the series goes on, why they flashed over to like a day later, two days later, three days later, right there at the end of the book. Uh, because the way that this story is being told and, and another another catalyst for, for this story is the fact that news disappears so quickly. It's all yeah. we hear about yeah. nonstop. You hear about like crazy stuff in the news, like school shootings, you know, stuff like that. And it's the biggest deal in the entire world. And they and then the next day. Yeah. It's like, oh, what happened? Oh, where where was that? Mm. Like like right now, think of the last mass shooting that happened. You probably, I mean, I, I know it just happened, so so it'd be easy to name the town. But like, think of the one that happened before that. No clue. I don't even know. You know, it just disappears so quickly. So yeah, I I, I love the way this is set up. I think it's, uh, you know, a plus plus. This is the setup yeah. on this is really really good. Mm. Uh, how about the dialogue here? Um, were you a fan of the dialogue? Did you feel like everybody had individual voices? Like, uh, tell, tell me what you think about the dialogue. Yeah, I did. I mean, you get, you know, of course you get who we found out later is Harold. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy who everybody thinks is crazy. Yeah, the crazy old man. But yeah. he actually knows what he's talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, you get the... I'm guessing it's I'm guessing it's an FBI agent, some sort of government agency agent yeah, yeah. who I mean it just has that, you know, just I don't want to say monotone, but just that mm -hmm. okay, I'm in charge, this is what's gonna happen, yep. you know, I'm gonna let you know, you know, that's it, you know, so everybody doesn't get in a panic and then of course you get, you know, Gabby who's you know, um, of course, new mother. Yep. You know, she there is that scene where she, you know, buys the cigarettes and, mm -hmm. you know, she she's like, you know, I've missed you so much when she's smoking, which yeah. I'm sure a lot <laughs> of mothers could um, commiserate with. Oh, yeah. And, but then you also get, you know, okay, where she's concerned for her husband and, you know, her child. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think everybody has their own voice in this one. Yeah, this this was really cool to me. The um the the dialogue throughout this book, it, they just I, I think Ed has like such a, a a way of people's voices. You know, he he's really really good at that. They seem like natural, real conversations mm -hmm. that people would be having in these scenarios and stuff. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, I I think that that was like a huge strength in this book. Also, a plus plus there. Uh, we, we kind of talked about the narrative. I don't think we need to, to go much into that. Um, the world building. Uh, I think that that's probably really important here. Um, uh, the world building, uh, you know, we're, we have uh, this, this town, you know, <laughs> we have, uh, and, and we're taking just cherry picking like a few characters out of it who survive and have to figure out what happened and, 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 and whatever. Um, and they're thrown into this larger world, you know, this unfamiliar world or whatever. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think this was probably the strength of the book to me. The, the world building here, the way that this is set up, uh, man, really, really good world building. Um, I, I, I really appreciated the world building in this a lot. Uh, okay, over to the art then. Let's talk about Luca for a second. Uh, how about the character art? How'd you feel about all the characters in this book? Uh, each character was... Definitely individualized. Yeah. I mean, you didn't get that whole, you know, sometimes the characters look alike and yep. it's kind of hard to tell. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Who, Everybody which, is very we've, identifiable. Seen, yeah, we've seen in some comics. So, and again, I mean, Harold is drawn like the, you know, 
crazy old guy. Yeah. Nobody believes, but he's actually right in the end. Yep. So, I, I mean, I like how, you know, each one has their own individuality. You know, one thing that I really, really like about this, I, I say one thing, I'm, I'm liking a lot of stuff about this, but yeah. um, uh, something that stands out a lot to me is how Luca is able to, and, and sorry, you can probably hear me flipping through the pages, but I wanted to get to this bar scene in Ajax um, where, you know, we that conversation that I talked about before where they're kind of, you know, trying to identify who this character they went to high school with and everything was. Um there's so many characters. The bar is like a little crowded. You know, there's a lot of background characters and stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you just, I, I just want you to look at those two pages for a second because, I mean, everybody in the background has so much detail put into them. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it's like, it's like Luca was like, okay, each one of these people really, really matters. It matters, you know, that their shirt's a little wrinkled in the corner here. Mm -hmm. It matters like uh, that this guy's butt, like everything matters here to him. Whether the character's, you know, a miles off in the background or, or on the forefront or, or whatever, everything matters to Luca. It's very, very important. I think that that's uh, really important in telling the story for mm -hmm. one because, again, think of the nature of the story. It's these people in this town and, and they have these lives and they exist and then it's all just taken away. Um, and they didn't, they don't exist anymore. Um, I, I think the level of detail in the art is like really, really important here. And I think that this team up was, was perfect. Uh, I think Luca and Ed are a really, really good team for this. Yeah. I, I love the character art here. I think it is top notch. Um, uh, the backgrounds too. I'm 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 really liking the backgrounds, Bob. If, I don't know if you have much of an opinion yeah, no, on the backgrounds, it, it, but it hits all your marks, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah <laughs> everything's yeah. fleshed out. I mean, look at that. When we're in the convenience store, uh, where the mother character is is in uh, Whitby, and and everything behind the the clerk at the mm -hmm. counter, like uh, so much detail, mm -hmm. dude. Everything is so fleshed out here. Yeah. God, uh, I mean, just little things like her lighting the match, you know, to light her cigarette. Like, there's so much detail in the flame and everything. Uh, this is this is fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. The, the the thing that drew me in art wise was the uh, very first page. Oh yeah, um, that full page. Yeah, yeah, wow. the full page where I mean, you can make out all the individual buses. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have the night sky yep. where you can make out all the, all the stars. I mean, you can make. You can make out all the individual links and the chain link fence. Yeah. Nothing was wasted no. here. Like, no. like Luca was, Luca is a very, very compelling visual storyteller. Like very, mm. and, and this is such a, a, a good team up to have mm. these two work together. I'd love, I would love to see the notes that Ed gave Luca for the art direction here or lack thereof or whatever. Like if, if Ed was just like, Hey, I'm going to tell my side of the story. You tell your side. Like, I'd love to see those notes. I think that, that would be so interesting. Um, mm -hmm. But really, really good. Uh, okay, so next up, the the locations. Um, you know, we're kind of moving through, you know, different cities here. I don't think there's not much, like, fantastical locations or anything. I think, uh, you know, to grade locations on, on a book like this, it's, it's just, you know, different uh you know, interiors and stuff, exteriors, whatever, but they're done very, very well, very well, uh, as is all the art in this book. And, and lastly, the colors, uh, the color by D, uh, Canuffy. Uh, I believe so. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, D Canuffy doing the colors there. Um, again, a perfect pairing. Great color. Yeah. Uh, the colors color. pop. The palette is very unique. Uh, I, I will say that it's a very unique palette. Um, Muted in places, mm -hmm. vibrant in others. Uh, 
when we get like those really nice, well lit areas and everything, it's just yeah, it's looking fantastic. You know, one 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 color that definitely stood out to me. Um, let me see. Oh, let me see if I can get to it. Um, let me find it. Yeah. Sorry, I'm doing this one-handed, so I'm <laughs> kind of struggling to do it. But so you get you get the scene where they're on the street, and I mean, you just see the big old sinkhole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is a bottomless abyss. Oh if yeah, I've ever seen one. I oh, mean, yeah. just just the shade of black and dark blue on top. Yes, yeah. ah. the colors uses. <laughs> I mean, it, it just makes it seem like the most bottomless pit. It does, right? I mean, just the depth there and everything uh, mm-hmm. used by those colors. Yeah, it, it, it's insane. Um, mm-hmm. Insane. Uh, okay, then, look, I, I don't think we need to go over much more. I I, I think it's it's pretty uh, obvious what we think here. But um, thoughts? I would, I, would <laughs> definitely, I would definitely recommend, uh, you know, anybody to go on to issue two and I definitely want to go on because yeah. I I want to figure I want to figure out you know what happened to Oshawa why is everybody forgetting except the survivors, um you know possibly what happened to the other cities that mm-hmm. disappeared oh yeah so yeah I'm definitely going on to issue two and I would definitely recommend anybody to go on to issue two yeah I'm I'm with you and I mean obviously this is this is going to be hard to say um, because you know the recency bias and everything, but this is one of the best comics I've read in, in, in a while. Um, this is not, not just because I really like the concept because I do really like the concept and I really like Ed Brisson as a creator. I really like Luca here on art. I really like the team. Um, I, I think that it's so well executed mm-hmm. and that's the reason I'm loving this so much because you could come up with a concept that's cool and not execute it as well. Like definitely. Right. I, when I talked to Ed, like I, I, I told him, you know, Hey, your log line gives me like Twilight Zone vibes. Uh, you know, like I'm almost thinking like you've got this ensemble and everything and, and it's not, it doesn't take a turn yet at least like, like the monsters are due on Maple Street or something like that. But I, it's like, I could see, you know, the little nuance in the characters, you know, built up in that way. Uh, and, and yeah, this is just, this is really, really well thought out, really compelling comic book storytelling. And Bob, this is, if we don't get like a, a series or movie or something out of this, I'd be very, very surprised because this is like so – has just such universal appeal and is such a good book. I really enjoy this. This is top tier for me. Five stars, ten stars, A+, plus, uh, whatever, all the way. Uh, very, very good. I love this. Uh, so – yeah, with that being said, I'm not going to move on to issue number No, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely getting issue number two. I love it. Uh, yeah, we're look, we, we can't gush enough. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll return in a moment. Hello, and welcome back to the all-new, all-different, number one comics podcast. Uh, we are doing a special creator interview. Of course, we are here with Ed Brisson, uh, uh, writer of Avengers of the Wasteland, uh, Beyond the Breach, uh, Dead Man Logan, The Field, Iron Fist, New Mutants, Sheltered, The Violent, X-Force, Alpha Flight. God, I feel like I could just go on and on forever. Predator, Sense of the Salton Sea. And, and of course, the uh, 
new book that's dropping in local comic book shops this very week in just a few days on Valentine's Day, The Displaced Number One. Ed, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, of course. Really excited to uh, talk to you today to talk about this book, especially um, as I told you off air for a sec, I, I probably will fanboy out just a little tiny bit, but I'll try to keep it contained and not sound too much. Sounds like good. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you do great. <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs> um, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like you kind of got your start, like at least professionally in comics, uh, like around like 2011, 2012. Um, lettering on stuff like Profit, uh, Peter Panzerfrost, uh, Change, Hell, Nebraska, and, and then writing on uh, Comeback from Image Comics? Yeah, I actually, I started lettering in 2006. Uh, okay. But I was yeah, primarily so doing uh, manga. Uh, I was doing just a ton of manga for several years. And I was actually lettering manga right up until I think I lettered my last book in 2017. So even when I was writing comics, I was still doing uh, manga lettering. But uh, yeah, that's my first work in comics was that was lettering. But I had been self-publishing comics probably for, I think when Comeback came out was 2012. Mm -hmm. And it had been 18 years prior to that, that I'd been self-publishing my own stuff since like the mid nineties. I was writing and drawing lettering and coloring you know mini comics and zines i did web comics for years and that sort of stuff so i've always been sort of floating around doing comic related stuff wow yeah that's that's quite a while um you're like uh doing all that self-publishing and everything that's that's really awesome um as far as lettering uh and, and that's not something that you know I, I haven't talked to like a lot of creators about lettering or anything. Um, it's, it's not something that like comes up like a whole a whole lot. So I'd like to ask you like a few questions about it because uh, yeah. it, it is interesting. You know, um, one of our uh, previous episodes that we just did, we just did a bonus episode on uh, 30 Days of Night. And one of the big things that, you know, uh, kind of stood out to, to me and my co-host during that episode was the lettering in that book. Whenever you, you know, go from the regular humans over to the vampires and everything, the, the lettering was very unique, very different, had a very different voice and everything. Uh, how did you, you know, kind of like break into lettering? How, I mean, I, I see that you've lettered on a lot of books and everything. So obviously you've, you've done a pretty good job at that. <laughs> uh, lettering such a unique like art form that a lot of people, uh, not saying that people don't appreciate, of course they do, but you know, something that can get overlooked a little bit, especially, you know, between just a writer and artist and stuff like that. So how do you make your lettering like a little unique and, and stand out and all of that? Uh, as to how it was unique, I don't know. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, I did letter for years, but I would mm -hmm. say, um, you know, there are guys uh, lettering now like Hassan um, who can run circles around the stuff I used to do. <laughs> I had like just kind of a like, very standard uh, approach to lettering. Which, like, I learned lettering, like, I lettered my own comics. I hand-lettered for years. <clears throat> Terribly. I'm not a, like, my hand-lettering <laughs> is, is uh, I, I'm too impatient. So it it, uh, it starts out looking really nice, and then by the third page, it's it's really, like, it's like, you know, when you uh, were in high school and would paint banners and you run out of letters at the end. It was much, <laughs> it was much like that. But, um, like, I learned it because I, I went to publishing uh, – I, like I originally went to school for fine arts and then I went back for publishing because uh, I wanted to learn how to deal with printers, how to, you know, basically how to, you know, I thought I could sort of 
utilize those skills in, in comics for doing print work and that sort of stuff. Uh, and one of the things we had to learn was Illustrator, which is what you use for lettering. And because I had a bunch of pre-press experience through the publishing program and then through working as a creative director for years, uh, it's really easily transferable over to lettering. <clears throat> but my first gig in lettering was, like I said earlier, was manga. And I, I've never really read a whole lot of manga. So I don't, like, I don't know how I broke in, how I got the job, because they <laughs> sent me a test page. And I know I screwed it up pretty royally because I didn't know. I didn't read enough to know what the asides were. You know, like in, in manga, they have a lot of uh, like just little sides all the time. Uh, but they must have been desperate. So I, I ended up getting hired anyway. And that's primarily what I did. I would jump over and do, like it's like you said, profit. I, I lettered all my own stuff for years. Um, but I don't think, you know, looking back at my worth, I'm a terribly exciting <laughs> letter. Like it's pretty like run to the mill type stuff. It, it gets the job done. It's, it's good, I think. Uh, you know, it's not the thing with lettering you never really want to be noticed mm -hmm. you don't want the letter to kind of lettering to jump out and I, I think i did okay with that um but yeah that uniqueness that you were talking about with 30 days of night and uh, sandman is like notoriously sort of the oh, big yeah. example where everyone has their own voice that stuff is great uh todd klein did amazing work on sandman but i found that one like almost half of my job as a letterer was sort of having to explain to new writers why every character can't like why doesn't that doesn't work for every single book like it really works well in 30 days of night mm -hmm. it works well in sandman but if there's not a purpose for it it's really distracting right like it's uh so <clears throat> so many times i would letter books and they're like i want every character to have a unique font set and unique uh balloon style or whatever so that we know when they're talking all the time but if it's just a bunch of people in a room there's no there's no reason that their voices are going to be like that distinct from one another. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So to answer your question, which I, I went way off on a tangent, but I'm not sure I did a ton that, that made my lettering unique. Like, you know, uh, I'm always in awe of Haas when he does uh, pages for us on, you know, he, he's the letterer I tend to work with the most and I'm always in awe of the stuff he does. And, uh, you know, it makes me afraid to ever go back and do my own lettering. <laughs> I I think it's uh, you know it's 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 really good to hear that because <clears throat> you know I, I always express to the creators that come on the show you know whether they're uh, artists or writers or they do a little bit of both or whatever uh, that you know uh, of course in comics it's a it's a huge community aspect to it so a lot of people you know listening to comic book podcasts uh, tuning in for comic book uh, creator interviews and stuff like that uh, are aspiring creators themselves or or you know like you, you know, they had been creating comics, maybe self-publishing or whatever, you know, trying to get that stuff out and, and really how do they break into that or, or what advice, you know, and everything. And, and a lot of times, you know, to hear something like, Hey, I, I kind of went in, you know, I was down to letter and, and these people, you know, hired me on and I really wasn't into manga or mega, however you pronounce that. But, um, but, you know, I, I took the job and, you know, kind of ran with it and, uh, you know, you, you might uh, downplay your work a little bit and be, you know, obviously you're a humble guy and you're like, yeah, whatever. I, I did. Okay. I did the assignment and it was fine. But, um, you know, you kept getting hired again and again, and then you were able to, uh, bring that over into your own work, uh, you know, and, and, and get out there and, and write things like, uh, come back and, and, uh, you know, publish things through image and stuff. So, um, so yeah, just uh great, great for our audience to be able to hear stuff like that. Cause that is a, you know, a, a way in for a lot of people. So. 
cool. Yeah, so and you know the good thing I'll say about lettering that uh, why I think every writer should try lettering, uh, try their hand at it, um, even if it's not going to be on the final product, as mm -hmm. sometimes writers, you know, especially new writers, don't have a sense of how much uh, real estate dialogue uh, and captionings uh, can take up, and so I think when you when you start. Um, lettering books and having to actually fit the dialogue onto the page, you get a better sense of how, uh, you know, at times economical you have to be with it. And uh, so I think, it, I think it'd be a good thing for every writer, especially new aspiring writers to at least try their hand at, they don't, you don't have to be great at it, but just to get that sense of, of how the page works. And that's a great perspective too. Like I, I really like that you point that out. I've read a lot of comics, you know, I, I read a lot of comics uh, and, and a lot of times you can kind of skirt that line. You know, a lot of uh, writers, you know, want to inject a lot of dialogue, you know, they want to, um, I, I spoke to a creator just a, a couple of weeks ago who was, you know, talking about uh, making sure that, you know, the reader really got their money's worth and there was a lot of dialogue in there and everything. And while I don't disagree, um, I think, you know, a lot of times I'd, I'd like to see that art shine and see the art tell the story uh, and, and have, you know, uh, still a good amount of dialogue and everything. But as, as you said, uh, you know, the way that that's placed on the page, the way that those are placed in the panel and everything really matter. You don't want to cloud up an entire panel of beautiful artwork with uh, nothing but <laughs> word balloons and dialogue. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, really interesting. Uh, something something to really think about, you know, whenever you're writing a comic book. Uh did, you know, speaking of writing comic books, um, and I, you know, this is the most basic question I could possibly ask, but of course, you know, we all, we all always have to ask this question. Um, sure. uh, what what uh, inspired you to write comics? When did you first get into writing comics? Have you been writing since you were like a child or how'd you get started? There? So originally I actually wanted to be a comic book artist. Um, that was, I was convinced as a child that I would be a comic book artist. I, I always had like a, a sketchbook with me and, you know, everywhere I went, I was just constantly drawing. And, um, you know, if anyone's heard me interviewed before, I, I've talked about this, so apologies for <laughs> repeating, but what did I, I was living in Kelowna, uh, which is a town in British Columbia at the time, I think it was about a hundred thousand people. And, you know, I wanted to be a comic book artist, but you know, we're not near New York. I had it in my head that I'd have to move to New York to become an artist because that's where it seemed to be based out of. And, um, but I wanted to, I just really wanted to draw. And I was trying to find a way that I could find scripts to, to draw from. And through my comic shop, I met a couple, uh, you know, guys who thought the, you know, who wanted to be comic book writers and not artists. And I had met up with them and they both, it was weird. They were both almost like the same person because they both had this idea that, uh, they were the, the like the genius behind the project and i was just the person there to help them realize their dream i was just the one to put the pencil push it around the the page and um to be a tool for them almost and it was like really they didn't approach it in a collaborative way at all it's just like uh you know you're an artist i'm gonna dictate you and and this is just how it goes and the thing about it was like you know i read their scripts and one of the scripts was so bad like given like how good how big his ego is mm -hmm. the script was just terrible i don't remember much about it except it was kind of an elf quest ripoff that ended with everything being a dream 
Um, and even like, I think I was 18 or 19 at the time, maybe even 17. And reading it, I was just like, you know what? Like, this is garbage. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I know that I could just go and write something better than this. And that's not me being like an egotistic. It kind of sounds maybe that way, but it was just like, I didn't want to work with, I knew it would be a bad working relationship because of the guys, just the way he was approaching it. This is really before the internet is what the internet is now. So there weren't really forums or anything to meet other creators. Uh, so there wasn't anywhere for me to meet writers. So I started writing like mid nineties, just out of necessity. I didn't, you know, I needed scripts to draw from. And so I started writing and a lot of this early stuff I wrote was this crazy derivative. It was not good, but <clears throat> I knew it was at least on par with like, you know, this, this other guy's writing. And so I ended up just writing and drawing for God. So 94, I think I published my first self-published my first comic and I wrote and drew I don't know how many pages and how many comics and minis and stuff between 94 up until 2010. <clears throat> and in 2010, I realized that I hate drawing. Like I just, <laughs> I don't know if I just fallen out of love with it or what, mm -hmm. what it was. I just like, I couldn't sit down on drawing board anymore. And I really enjoyed writing, which was the thing that I, you know, started doing initially to sort of serve the art. But I realized I just like writing more. And like over the years, I'd taken some writing courses where I could. I'd, I'd read everything I could on writing. And so I was constantly in a in a like quest to improve my writing and become better and, and have a, a more unique voice. And so, yeah, in 2010, on my birthday, I just stopped drawing. Like I just, that was it. <laughs> I, like, I, on that day, I stopped drawing and I sat down and I wrote the first murder book script on that day. Like I just... I had made this decision. I wasn't going to draw anymore. I was only going to write and work with other artists. And uh, I just started murder book on that day. Uh, I was living in Vancouver at that time. And so I, you know, from self-publishing for 16 years, I knew a ton of people, you know, mo almost every friend I had was involved in comics in some way. We were all self-publishing our own stuff. None of us were really, I don't think any friends I had at that point were, you know, being published by any legitimate publisher. We were just all a bunch of people who were self-publishing. And, you know, I knew Simon Roy. Um, this is before he did Profit. Um, I had published something he'd done. And so I, when I did my first murder book story, I just asked him if he'd be interested in drawing it. And then I just kind of would do these short murder book stories and work with different artists, you know, on these five to 20 page stories. And then from there, it was just kind of, that was it. That's, I, after 16 years, found the thing the part of it that I just wanted to really focus on. And, you know, from there, uh, things started to improve career-wise. Clearly, uh, I wasn't the only one who was, <clears throat> wasn't in love with my art. Uh, but uh, the writing the writing seemed to connect. Which is, uh, I, I, look, that's, that's a cool thing to point out. I mean, always give yourself a birthday present, whether it's, hey, you don't have to do this thing you don't enjoy anymore yeah. or, or whatever. But, <laughs> yeah, really cool. Uh, I want to get into a, a couple of your individual books. And, and again, I won't stay on them too long. I really want to get to this. The, sure, yeah. The Displaced. I'm take, really excited about this time. book. Uh, but I, I have to ask this. Um, in The Mantle number one, the story opens up with our characters at a punk show. Um featuring a band called Sellouts. And uh, and you, you really showcase how much Jen and Robbie uh, 
hate <laughs> that band or specifically Jim. Uh, and, and they leave and then start their adventure. Um, and I'm not going to get into the book. Like I'm, I'm, I won't talk about it. it. It is an amazing book. So if you have not read that, go out there and read it now. But um, uh, do you have, you know, did you come from like the punk scene, like in the you know early nineties or anything? Like, is, is that something you were involved oh. with? with? The Sellouts was the band I was in in the 90s. Amazing. Okay, great, so, great. The lyrics that they're singing is mm -hmm. actually from one of our songs. <laughs> uh, we were like a very much like, um, you know, I grew up, I was mostly like a hip hop kid up mm -hmm. until about, um, up until 94, actually. Uh, I did this road trip with this, uh, this girl who was really into punk. Mm -hmm. It was like a, a two week road trip. We drove across the country and back. And after get like we, the only band we could agree on when we left was the like Beastie Boys. It was like they they had that crossover and sometimes <laughs> Public Enemy. But by the time I got back, there was a lot of punk stuff that I, I really got into. Uh, and then all all throughout high school and then after high school, all my friends were always just the punk. I was always the like the odd man out. So I ended up picking up bass and playing bass for a while, and then I formed a, a band called The Sellouts with my friend Nick uh and neil and then we uh, like a rotating cast of drummers for some reason <laughs> not keep a drummer which sure. <laughs> i think we're not the only band i think that just seems to be the the plight of every band we weren't together for terribly long i think but two two and a half years and um so yeah you know i i, I was like a suburban punk kid you know we played <laughs> yeah. punk shows in like uh Kelowna, bc which is is hardly like uh you know, being on the skids or anything like that. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I was into punk for a little while. We we're like a very heavily influenced by like Crass and the Dead Kennedys and those sorts of things. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, Crass, uh, absolutely one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I grew up in the punk scene and, you know, the uh, mid to late 90s here in, in, in Florida and, um, you know, really big into that, uh, toured a little bit and stuff too. But uh, yeah, I... I you know, when I when I first opened that book and I loved it because I was like, this is uh, such a realistic like little punk show here, and and, and uh -huh. I really liked it a lot. And and I like the fact that you know uh, you've got these two characters kind of sitting there, you know, and and, and one of them's God, I hate this. Let's get the hell out of here. Um, uh, just just love that. So 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 realistic. That was and that was really like <laughs> that was like the relationship between me and the singer the entire like we formed <laughs> the band, and we were constantly like constantly at odds because uh, you know. Uh, he was uh, he was really really influenced by like Jello Biafra and stuff. So all the mm -hmm. lyrics he wrote were like very Jello Biafra style <laughs> lyrics, and he used to get under my skin so much. Uh, what band were you? In? What what's uh what sort of touring did you guys do? Uh, you know, we we didn't tour a lot, a little bit up the right. East Coast and stuff like that. Um, it, it was a punk band called Use uh, Sorry Useless Abuse. <laughs> uh, right. Just we started. I started out as the guitar player, and and I wrote the uh, lyrics, and and we had a separate singer that I would you know uh, give all that to. So I, I'd write the songs, and then uh, uh, again we we had a drummer, and and you know sadly he was he was very bad. So I I decided after about a year, hey, I think I can play drums better than this guy. Uh, let's and and my mom had bought the guy the drum set because he didn't have one himself. So we right. just picked him out, and I took over on the drums, and 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 I've been a drummer ever since then. But nice. Yeah, uh, fun stuff. <laughs> uh, going over to you know some more parts of your career here, and, and again before we get into the displaced, um, in, in 2017 you penned a five-part uh, bullseye miniseries for Marvel. Um, uh, 
your your storyline was the Colombian connection and um <clears throat> really really cool book I, I love that uh thanks really fun yeah um i want to know how was it, it, it that first issue you know you kind of split uh writing credit with mark wolfman which is uh pr pretty cool pretty outstanding there that uh so you know, mm -hmm. yeah we didn't have any interaction though he wrote like a backup story so we yes. like we were like sorry yeah. go ahead sorry no 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 you're fine um yeah uh yeah which you know completely understood yeah i know there are two separate stories there uh just, you know, how, how is it uh, coming out the gates like that? You know, you're 2017, so you're, 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 you're a little bit in your career there. It's not that you're like a newcomer or anything, but, uh, you know, ha having your name published on the front of a Marvel book with Marv Wolfman, that's got to be pretty awesome. It was, it was pretty cool for sure. And that actually, like, that was my first series at Marvel. Mm -hmm. um, I had started writing in 2016. It got pushed back a little bit for, I, I can't even remember why. Uh, I think they were because they were doing that running with the devil thing. So originally it was yep. supposed to be bullseye. And then they did this running with the devil thing with a bunch of uh, daredevil uh, adversaries having their own miniseries. Mm -hmm. But that was, it was really cool. It was my first mar Like I'd done two issues of secret Avengers before that. And then a yep. 10 page story in secret wars, battle world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this was like the first time where I actually got to like have some real estate to tell mm -hmm. a story and the whole the whole bit of it was nerve-wracking it was mm -hmm. uh you know uh, i thought i'd kind of really screwed up my first couple chances <laughs> at marvel and i was trying to like uh, redeem myself a bit and it was a really weird situation in that uh they offered me the gig and i think i had two weeks to put together a pitch for it and um they wanted something specific to happen uh which i want uh, it's it's not huge but it's just like a, a bit that they wanted to happen mm -hmm. And I spent two weeks sort of crafting this five issue thing. I was like poured everything into it. And the day before it was due, I read there was an, uh, an electric book that had just been coming out just before that, mm -hmm. where they did the thing that I'd been asked to do in the bullseye thing. And somehow it just passed. Nobody noticed that it was already being done. It just, I think it was different editors working on the books. Mm -hmm. And so I panicked and I scrapped my, my pitch that I'd been working on for two weeks. And I, I stayed up overnight and I wrote one, I, you know, I think <clears throat> I noticed it midway on the day before it was due. So probably you know, noon or two or whatever. And I stayed up until I think six or seven the next morning. Okay. Um, and I wrote a new pitch, and then I I, met, I sent it to Mike Walsh, who did come back. He and I are good friends; we keep in touch. And I was like, I think this is it. And I sent it to him. He's like, Yeah, this is like this feels like a Marvel book, but it doesn't feel like an Ed Brisson book. And I was like, <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> like so, like oh no. <laughs> uh, and so I ended up scrapping that one, and then writing another pitch in four hours, five hours. Wow. <laughs> um, and I said that one to Walsh. I'm like, what about this? He's like, yeah, this is the one. And I said, that, and that's the one that we ended up doing. That was a Colombian connection. But there were two other pitches uh, before that. But that one was like a weird, I had panicked. But I think that part of me panicking it and having to just sort of um, uh, like get away from the research and overthinking things probably made it uh, better. I think it made it feel like that feels like one of the most me stories I've written at Marvel mm -hmm. um, and most in line with sort of my own, the type of stuff I like to do. Uh, so yeah, that was, it was a whole ordeal, but
but uh, you know, I was happy with how it came out. I think Guillermo was amazing on the artwork. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, a uh, really, really great series for anybody who hasn't read that. I mean, I, I uh, you know, acclaimed. Everybody's read that, but you know, if you haven't, check it out. <laughs> uh, I also want to talk about uh, issue number three of the Silver Coin. I'm sorry, I have to go into that for just a second, and then I'm going to get sure. Uh, you wrote issue number three of Silver Coin, and and for those who haven't read it, I'm not going to like you know spoil anything that happens in the story really. But uh, uh, Silver Coin is kind of like a horror anthology thing, but not really because they you know it all connects. Um, you know, it has something that ties it together, but they are separate stories. So um, this is absolutely one of my favorite issues of the 15 issue run. Um, and it, it starts with like a robbery, like a home invasion gone wrong, and takes like this wild turn. And it, it goes into like, I, I would say like almost like a Twilight Zone-ish type twist uh, involving the coin. And it's just such a cool story. What I have to ask you about that is how the hell did you convince that into a single issue? Um, that could have been a 15 issue uh, story by itself. <laughs> like, I honestly don't remember that. I wrote that in the middle of COVID, if I, if I recall. And it was, mm -hmm. a, it was a weird one in that, um, you know, Walsh had asked me to, to write an issue. I was lucky in that I'd been able to read um, uh, Kelly and Chip's issues mm -hmm. um, before they came out, before I wrote mine. And I had this idea that I wanted to connect the two issues because there, there was supposed to be this connective tissue of the, yep. of the coin. So I, I just dropped my story right into the middle of the, theirs. I had a really rough idea of what the story was going to be. I really wanted to do a crime slash horror type thing. Um, and it was, it was just, it was a really weird one because I didn't write that story in the way that I write most stories. Most times I outline everything pretty concisely and then I go in and I, I write it. That one, I just, I had my, you know, I had my beginning and I had my end. Uh, I knew some bits in the middle and I just sat down and I just started writing. And I ended up like, you know, I've done that a few times now. And anytime I do that, it takes me much longer to write because I have to then go back and revise and, refit and fix it and everything like that. But I tend to enjoy doing that more because it feels like there's a little bit more energy that sometimes you lose when everything is, is uh, so tightly plotted when you go into um, the script. But yeah, it was just, uh, it was just that. It was just, you know, I kind of wrote loosely and then just kept refining it until it was uh, what it is now. Such a wonderful single issue, you know, <laughs> just a, it, it's one of those ones, you know, right after I read it, like I, I just I haven't been able to get it out of my head since, you know, it just it awesome. plays so well. Yeah, a really, really great, uh, outstanding issue for, for anybody who hasn't read that again. I'm going to, you know, keep uh, repeating myself over and over again, but uh, you're definitely going to want to check out all of Ed's writing because it's you know, really, really cool stuff. Um, let's get into this, the displays. That's that is absolutely why we're here. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's, it's taken 30 minutes to get there, but uh, no, we're good. Yeah. Uh, by the time this airs, uh, my co-host Bob and I will have dedicated, you know, an entire episode to covering the displaced number one. Uh, that's, you know, kind of what we do here uh, is we take a brand new first issue comic book and, and completely break it down, dissect it as much as possible and, and talk about, you know, every, every aspect of it that we can. So uh, this is this is kind of like a monumental for us. You know, this is our, our second year in, in doing this podcast and uh you know, while we do a lot of creator interviews and everything, we've never had it actually land where we're uh, talking to the creator of the book that we're covering that week. So, so this is a cool one for us. We're really, really excited about this. Um, it's going to be really cool to be able to, to attach this to our review of, of the book and everything. So, awesome. uh, 
I hope you guys dig it because it's going to be really <laughs> awkward if you hate it. And then run <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can say, this book is absolute trash now. Here's an interview with <laughs> the writer of the book. <laughs> I, I, I don't anticipate that will happen. But uh, I, I want to talk about the origins of this story. How did it come about? Um, where did it come from? Yeah, so, uh, you know, just really quickly, what the displace is about is the, mm -hmm. the city of Oshawa, uh, Ontario, disappears one night. Uh, it falls into a sinkhole. Uh, the 170,000 people who live there are just gone. No one, they vanish, right? They fall into the sinkhole, but no rescue efforts have been able to find anyone. Mm -hmm. And the story follows uh, primarily five um, people who are from Oshawa who happen to be outside of the city when this happens. And they're just trying to get answers about what happened to Oshawa. You know, some of them have lost family. Some of them have lost burdens on their lives. Um, and some were like just trying to get away from the city when it happened. So there's like a real mix of emotions and, and feelings about Oshawa having uh, disappeared. But uh, what starts to happen throughout the issue is that people actually start to forget that Oshawa existed. Um, and this is sort of, you know, I, I, I'm kind of spoiling some stuff here for people to read it. Uh, but so the book is kind of about how these people, these survivors kind of survive in, in the wake of that. And the first issue is really a, a large part of just getting to know these people and, and what they're dealing with and how this affects them and impacts their lives. But uh, the origin is like, I'm from Oshawa. This is where I grew up. Uh, I left there when I was a teenager. But I... Um, I go back there and I visit usually every couple few years. Um, and there's always this like, uh, you know, I'm sure that anyone who's left their hometown and then goes back to visit can probably relate to this feeling of like going back to the place that you're from. And there's like this kind of connection, you know, that I would always seek when I would go back that seemed to be missing. There's a thing. It felt like I was looking for something every time I went back. I, and I couldn't tell you what that was, but I, I could tell you that it just, I could never seem to find that feeling. Um, so there's always this weird disconnection from the place you grew up. You know, uh, Oshawa is, you know, parts of it have, have changed quite a bit over the years. Parts of it are exactly the same. Um, but another a large part of uh, uh, what sort of inspired this is I, about 20 years after moving from there, I went back and I <clears throat> saw uh, a guy I was friends with in elementary school. I don't know how I recognized him 20 years later, but uh, there he was. And I, I went to talk to him and he had zero idea who I was. Like, he just did not remember me at all. Uh, you know, we, like, we hadn't been friends all throughout high, uh, elementary school. Like he was there. He was just at our school for about six months. Uh, but it was such a surreal feeling to have someone not remember you. when like, I could, I remember vividly hanging out with him. I could list, you know, <laughs> dozens of things we'd done together. And so that, you know, that sort of feeling sort of falls in, in is, is a large part of what the book is going to be about going forward. And there's, you know, there's other things like the cyclical nature of um, media and how we, we glom onto news stories. And then we like, you know, within a week they're forgotten, uh, you know, and we, and that there's, you know, I've been reading a bit about how, this keeps happening faster and faster and how we don't engage uh, with news stories as deeply as we once did. Like, so we don't have a, a we don't tend to have an understanding beyond the headlines, right? Mm -hmm. Like as a general population, I think there are, there are people who definitely sit down and read their newspaper every morning and know everything that's going on. But I think in general, we don't really engage on, on a deep level and we, you know, become obsessed with 
one news story and then you know a year later nobody remembers that there was a you know school bus size weather balloon floating all across the united states that might be another country spying on us <laughs> but no one even yeah, remembers yeah, that happened, happened anymore <laughs> yeah and it's like but it's it just falls right out of our, our consciousness as quickly as it arrives so that's a large part of what the story is about as well mm-hmm. um so and this is it's a thing i've been working on for uh, since 2008 um wow you know in one form or another mm-hmm. and it was almost 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 my very first book that got published uh we've been talking to a publisher had a lot of back and forth but then it was just there were a few things um that they wanted that i didn't want to do like they want to move it to the united states rather than canada mm-hmm. um there were a few things just story-wise where uh even though i was very excited at the prospect of having my first book i knew that this story was one that had to be done right and so i ended up pulling it back and and thought it'd be better to just sit and wait until i had the right time to do it and it did feel like it did feel for years that there was like just one piece missing and it wasn't until sometime in the middle of the pandemic where i was just going over it once again and uh it all just kind of fell into place and then from there i started you know i, I contacted luca to see if he'd be interested in drawing uh, putting together a pitch package with me and then we started showing it around and and got interest pretty quickly which is great i i can imagine so with uh with that story and um you know the the kind of pitch there for it and then along with lucas art yeah <laughs> probably uh got picked up instantly um I, I i definitely wanted to ask you how you landed at boom with the book um was that like an established relationship that you had from uh before or, or were you just pitching yeah you were the ones uh so i had um kind of started my career at boom more or less like i had done stuff at um image uh, when i had then come back and had then sheltered right after but boom was the first place to hire me on like to do work for hire work i mm-hmm. wrote a couple issues of robocop for them and then i wrote uh sons of anarchy for a year over yes. there okay <laughs> and then i did uh, a book there called cluster with damian Cazero. Mm-hmm. And I did uh, the last contract afterwards with them with uh, with Lissandra Astera. And both of those are the creator owned books. And then <clears throat> not too long after the last contract, I ended up, you know, that's when I did Bullseye and ended up being like a Marvel exclusive for years and then do Marvel and DC stuff. And I had already, always kept in touch with um, the editors there, Eric Harburn, who was my editor on a lot of the stuff I'd done with them previously. You know, I would, you know, we drop each other a couple of emails a year or whatever so when this one was coming up and it was time to you know find a publisher i reached out to them and they were into it and here we are very cool uh how important was it to you that you uh you know you, you said that uh initially in the story sorry the first appearance of the dogs here but uh it, the, the initial run of the story, um, you know, it was important to you that, uh, you know, it was involved in your hometown and then, you know, uh, through, uh, uh, you know, different publishers and everything, they wanted to set it in the States and all of that. And, and you, you really, you know, weren't interested in moving the location. It was important to you that it took place in, in your home hometown. Um, how important or, you know, how, how personal was it to you that you made sure that your hometown disappeared in this book? Uh, <laughs> you know what? Say? I just... <laughs> I thought it was just a feeling like, you know, because Oshawa is a is a GM town and has been for years. Okay. So, like, you know, while it's not identical, but I would say, like, one of the closer proxies in the U.S. is probably, like, Flint, Michigan. 
So oh, wow, um, okay. <laughs> wow. They're not identical, but there's a lot of similarities as well. Sure. And the you fact can drink the, the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But the GM town, you know, the, the GM coming and then shutting down and you know, people out of work. That seems to happen to Oshawa constantly. The GM plant will shut down and or lay off a bunch of people. It closed for a couple of years and then it reopened. So it it's this weird thing where like, you know, it it's not that Oshawa is vanishing, but like the the thing that you know employed most of the town went away and it really kind of impacted the town. And so there there was like sort of like loose parallels between sort of that and what's going on in the book. Uh, but for me, wanting Oshawa to vanish, I'm not saying that I want that. I think a lot of people in Ontario maybe uh, do. Uh, but, um, you know, Oshawa, unfortunately, is uh, has sort of a bit of a bad reputation in Ontario. It's a butt of a lot of jokes, which we it's funny because there's a there's a page in the book where um, one of the characters holds up her phone and there's all these really shitty memes people have done about Oshawa disappearing and about how like how relieved there or how funny it is or whatever it is. Uh, and then when we did the first initial push, the press release on, on Twitter and boom had mentioned the city vanishes. It was almost identical tweets came in from real people uh, about the idea of Oshawa vanishing. So it, it was kind of funny <laughs> that, you know, was able to pretty much call how people in Ontario would react uh, to, to Oshawa going away. You already knew how they feel. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> really cool. Um, I look. I really love the pitch to this book. It has, uh, you know, uh, again, I'm gonna invoke Twilight Zone. I I'm a huge, huge Twilight Zone fan. I I don't call it all the time, but like I I feel elements here. Um, and it, it's got those vibes to it. You're really good at crafting stories that cross those boundaries of like horror, sci-fi, like crime. You know, uh, kind of like stuff that uh, you know a lot of people don't have like a lot of crossover for those things uh you know and and you're it's kind of like your craft it's your uh a, you know a, a lot of your stuff that i look at you know has elements of those things in it and, and, and a lot of crossover also are you a fan of the twilight zone by any chance i love i love the twilight zone and that's like definitely when i pitched this book i'm like look it's like it's like a very long twilight zone episode uh with some surrealness yeah i'm a you know, I grew up, my first exposure to Twilight Zone was the 80s series, which I think is like um, oh, cool. underappreciated. I think there's some real gems in the in the 80s series. Uh, they, they're like, they're 80s through and through um, <laughs> when, you, when you go back and rewatch them. Um, but I think there's a lot of good stuff there. And, and the old black and white stuff, you know, I, I've watched you know, a million times over. Uh, I watched a ton of Twilight Zone growing up. For a long time, it was like some of the safe, I was a kid who was obsessed with horror and my, my parents, uh, I watched Poltergeist at a very young age and got nightmares. So my parents had banned <laughs> me from horror. And for some reason, their one concession was that I could watch black and white horror, uh, which they, they put Twilight, Twilight Zone's not technically horror, but it's got definitely elements. And so I was allowed to watch Twilight Zone and I would just like, just devour that as a kid. Uh, so yeah, big, big fan. I love the, the, you know, to sort of just taking sometimes just that the mundane and doing like that that twist you know shifting reality so that it, it's it just becomes unsettling i love the like the the moments you know i've talked about this before but um button button is one of my favorite episodes from the 80s which has got that, uh, that really cool twist that <clears throat> not it's not even really a twist at the end it's just one great line mm -hmm. um for those who don't know that episode is uh someone shows up at the 
couple's house. They're having money troubles, and he offers them, I believe it's $10,000. They give him a, He gives them a box, and uh, there's a button on top, and if they press the button, they get $10,000, but somebody they don't know will die. And it's a, a you know it's about 20 minutes of them arguing back and forth about whether or not they will. Uh, it's got just a, a great uh, end beat on it. You know, there's the, um, I don't know why I keep blanking on the title, the old Burgess Meredith uh, Bank. <clears throat> the bank one where he's always getting in shit for reading books at the bank. Uh, time uh, it up at last, right? Yes, yes, yeah. that's the one. You know, I <laughs> love that, like, the, the, the little bit at the end, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, you know, so that's the thing I, I think, you know, if uh, if I can say I stole anything from Twilight Zone, you know, <laughs> from, from having that sort of just having absorbed so much of it growing up, it's those bits where, like, you know, you just turn things so that they're just terrible <laughs> at the end. Yeah, and, and I think that's the important thing. You know, it's it's big cultural impact and all that. I think, uh, you know, still now in 2024, a lot of people, you know, a lot of uh, writers and, and, and creators and stuff, you know, kind of chase things like that, those twists, uh, landing that twist, you know, uh, it's it's something that uh, it's it's very understated how hard it is to land a twist um, because you can you can go back and watch you know certain things and I I, I would never you know sit here and uh, shit on anybody's art or, or anything like that but you know a lot of times uh, people uh, negatively talk about the M Night Shyamala uh, twist you know and stuff and and how they're not landed properly and everything and uh, yeah I mean it's, it's it's a task it's a huge task to to be able to land uh, those big twists and everything like that so uh, really and I. I like a lot of his films, but I think the problem is he just got trapped in this idea that he had to always have a twist. Sure. And it became like a gimmick that it was hard for him to escape from. Sure. Yeah. Uh, agreed. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, the, the village, uh, one of the most underrated <laughs> movies in a long time. R really great stuff. Uh, well, look, uh, please tell our audience why displays number one is the most perfect Valentine's day gift of 2024. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no better way than telling your sweetie you love them than giving them a comic book by Ed Brisson. <laughs> I, agree. Uh, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's a fun book. I think it's probably got like some, you know, crossover appeal. It's not like a, a superhero thing. It's a, it's a nice, uh, a nice story, um, you know, that I think a lot of people will be able to relate to elements of. Um, and yeah. I mean, if you're going to the comic book store on Valentine's Day anyway, just do it. <laughs> yeah, get in there and, and grab a copy. Um, there is, uh, you know, by the time this is up, the uh, the book will be out in local comic book shops. So, um, you know, make sure, hopefully you grab a copy before it's sold out and you don't have to pick one up on the secondary market for, you know, 25 or $30. But, hey, who knows if you snooze, you lose, I guess. But uh, there is a preview up on uh, Boom's page right now where you can read, I think it's five pages. Uh, really, really yes. cool little preview Something up there. Like yeah, uh, it's just outstanding. Um, really, really uh, uh, paints the picture of what's to come there. So, yeah, and I I can't, I, I don't know, I, I, I can't say I appreciate it enough. It was really, really cool talking to you. I'm really excited to talk about this book with my co-host Bob this week. We're really excited to get down on it and uh, post this interview to that uh, episode. But uh, let everybody know if you have anything else coming up you want to talk about. I know you have Predator, uh, a new volume of Predator coming out. But um, if there's anything else you want to talk about, uh, please, please let the audience know. Yeah, well, like you said, last the Predator Last Hunt comes out on February 21st. And this, so this is our third volume following Theta, who's a 
sort of a predator hunter. It's uh, mm-hmm. we switch it up a bit. And uh, she is after she knows that predators are keeping people in stasis farms. And so she's trying to track those down and which she does, um, but uh, doesn't necessarily get what she wants out of it. Um, we introduce a very uh, a new and very badass predator that I'm very excited for folks to see. Francisco uh, Mana did the design on it. He's drawing the series, and it's absolutely incredible. Uh, other than that, I you know if uh, people see this before uh, February 17th or thereabouts, I'm going to be doing a signing tour for the displays, oh, cool. uh, and starting on the 17th and going until the 28th. So it's uh, 11 days. Um, you can find details on that on my Twitter, which is at Ed Brisson. Uh, you can just go to my website, edbrisson.com, or check out my newsletter, which is, I don't know, edbrisson.substack.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be touring nine stores, uh, I believe, nine stores. And uh, I have, I've never done this before, but I have a, an exclusive uh, variant cover that I'll be selling that will be available at the stores when I'm signing. So it's Chip Zarsky cover oh, that cool. uh, is only available at the signings. Uh, so yes, I'm pretty excited about that. So definitely uh, one of the many reasons to get out to those signings. You get a signed copy of the displays number one. You get a copy of the displays number one. You get to give Ed a Valentine's Day gift, and you get an exclusive Chip Zdarsky cover. So really, really cool. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, all that will be posted in the show notes. I'll make sure that I have links to all of your stuff and you guys can check that out in the show notes. Ed, again, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. It was amazing talking to you today. All right, you too, man. Well, thank you so much. And we are back with episode number 57 of the all new, all different number one comics podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to that amazing Ed Brisson interview. I know it was really, really cool and monumental for us to be able to have the creator of the book that we're talking about on really, really fun. Um, Bob, I think that now is the time in the show. We're going to talk about some books that come out next week, but I have a very, very important thing that I need to do before uh, we do that. And that that is, um, it's disclaimer time with Bob. As always, these are just a few of the books that hopefully are coming out next week. <laughs> we can only hope, Bob. If you want a more in-depth list, please consult us elsewhere. Call your local comic shop. Email them. Uh, look through previews. Anything else I'm missing? Harry Potter owls. I always like to point those out because I feel like yeah, they're underused. Right. You know, like uh, I, I feel like the owls probably get lonely up there, just waiting for someone to you know summon them to. You know, send a message. So to me, my owl. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Hit those up. Um, if you happen to live in Jacksonville, Florida, like Bob and I do, you can hit up Ben or Jonathan over at Gotham City Limit, and they will take care of all of your comic book needs. Um, they'll, you know, even escort you to the bathroom if if that's what you need. So make sure you hit them up. Gotham City Limit, take it to the limit. So starting starting off the list from Image Comics, we have. A monumental issue, Spawn number 350. Bob, this one has the debut of a new ruler of hell. And uh, they do have a nice picture there, but I won't give anything away. Yes, there'll be hell to pay. (laughs) Uh, From Marvel, we have Edge of Spider-Verse number one. This one is going to come with a secret variant, a one per store. So, you know, if you want that, hit up your shops like right now yeah. and, and ask if you can get that or how you can get that. 
Uh, a lot of stores, like our shop, you know, won't give those out. They're going to put it like in, um, you know, there's a different way to get that, uh, you know, other than just asking for it. So, um, so your shop might be the same way, but, you know, give it a shot, I guess, or maybe try eBay early. You never know. Uh, but of course, you know, Edge of Spider-Verse always introducing new characters. Yeah. So, uh, going to DC for a minute, we have Batman Offworld number four. It comes with Bob's, one of Bob's favorite things in comic books, a possible first appearance. Of the Thungarian, <laughs> a bounty hunter. So it's got two of Bob's favorite things, bounty hunters and a possible first appearance. So check it out. Love my possible first appearance. <laughs> doesn't make sense, but hey, love whatever. Uh, staying with DC, we have Nightwing number 111. This one does have a first appearance. I don't even think it's possible. Um, it is of the son of Grey, the ancestor of the Graysons during the 1300s. More sons, you know. DC just loves their sons. What about the daughters? We had Crush for a second, Lobo's daughter, but that was about it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So Dick is a gray son. <laughs> oh, da <-dun> <laughs> Yes, pun intended, folks. Hey, oh, I like it. Uh, going back to Marvel, we have Alien, Black, White, and Blood number one. Yes, yeah, a four-issue limited series with an anthology of stories. Check it out. Uh, staying with Marvel, we have Predator number one. Yes, the new volume. Yeah, well, this is Predator The Last Hunt number one. Um, I don't know why they didn't put the subtitle there, but yeah. Predator The Last Hunt. Bob, you want to know one of the coolest things about this book? Well, <laughs> there's two cool things here. Actually, there's probably a lot of cool things, but two cool things to point out right now. Um, number one, this features a super predator. Uh, so there is a new predator being introduced here. And number two, it's actually written by Ed Brisson, friend of the show, uh, author of The Displaced, and whose interview you just heard. So uh, definitely, definitely check that out. Yes. Uh, staying with Marvel, we have The Incredible Hulk number nine. Man, this series is so good. This one has the first appearance of Frozen Charlotte, a supernatural serial killer. Who's possibly frozen. Uh, probably. So <laughs> how can how can the ghost be seared to live if it's frozen? Uh, Bob, don't ask questions. It's comics. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, uh, ending the list from Marvel, we have Captain Marvel number five. Yeah, this one has the first appearance of the Undone, a Galactus level threat. Bob, that's horrifying. Um, you know, there's not very many Galactus level threats out there, and when you get one, it's it's not good news. We don't need another Galactus. <laughs> not not good news for our heroes. No. Um, just a couple of books I wanted to point out. Just a couple of books of note. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man issue number two also drops next week. Uh, from Image, we get the Six Fingers number one, which is the sequel to the One Hand number one that just dropped. Uh, from Dynamite, we've got Elvira meets H.P. Lovecraft. That's right, Elvira meets H.P. Lovecraft number one. From Keen Spot, we've got The Crying Boy, and I did have that uh, author on a few episodes ago, and we did an interview, and we talked about The Crying Boy, number one. So definitely something you're going to want to check out for sure. Uh, from Ani, we have Cemetery Kids Don't Die, number one, as well as Invasive, number three, if you remember that amazing number one that uh, Bob and I went over a few episodes back quite a few episodes back at this point but uh really really good series by colin bunn from distillery we have blasphemous from murka and Dafo. um so you know that's going to be good and crazy and lastly from archie comics we have the jaguar number one uh so a book i know bob will be picking up uh really excited about that one bob um we're hitting the two hour mark so we are going to make a very very quick 
last ditch effort to spin this wheel and see where it lands. Uh, we've got three books on the wheel from the lovely wheelofnames.com. Again, not sponsored for some odd reason. Uh, looks like, Bob, next week we will be covering Elvira meets H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft. Oh, so, I'm looking forward to that one, yeah. actually. Uh, buckle in, kids. It's going to be a wild Oh, week. that's going to be crazy, Brian. Yeah, it, it sure is. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, check us out on all the usual places. I won't say them here, but they'll be in the show notes. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next time. Oh, <laughs>